Hello, this is I am Sunitra, and you're listening to my podcast, How Y'all Doing? I had the wonderful opportunity to capture a great testimony, and I wanted to share it with you so everybody sit back and listen. But before that, I'm going to give you a little taste of some great music that I got to hear. Hello, thank you guys for listening. You are listening to Sinitra and I am Sinitra, and this is my podcast, How Y'all Doing? So as I think you guys may have learned um, over the past couple of podcasts, I love great people. I love meeting people. And it's interesting that I say that because I'm actually learning through this process that everybody is great. We all have some kind of greatness in us no matter what. So hopefully one day I'll get to interview you. But on this day, I get to interview uh, Mr. Larry Gould, a wonderful person who I accidentally got to meet. Um, we were at a an event that I had no intention of staying at or going to, and I ended up spending the whole time there and I got to hear his story. So his story moved me so much, and not just because of your Harry Potter reference, that I took a risk because although I might sound very social on here, I'm not. I took a risk and we spoke after and I asked him if he minded if I could interview him so that we could talk about his story. So I'm going to let him introduce himself, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Never mind. And hi, everybody who's listening. My name is Larry Gould. And uh, like Sanisha said, I had the opportunity to meet her a few weeks ago unexpectedly. And uh, I look forward to sharing a little bit about my story. Um, I'm not from America. I came here and there's one of the wonderful things I love about the United States is there's so many American adventure stories and I'm happy to share mine today. I love that. And it's funny. I love that you said you're not from here because so I'm from the north. um, So I used to have a northern accent and now it's a southern accent and people when they hear a certain accent, they sometimes already have a certain perception of how you are and how you're going to be. So I don't, I don't know what your accent, your accent automatically brings me to professionalism. When I hear like a, a British or English accent, I immediately, no matter what, it's like classy, professional, <laughs> clean and hats and hats, really nice hats. So uh, Sinitra, that's funny that you say that. And I'm, I'm very glad that people have that misconception about British people and I do everything I can to take advantage of it. And I do everything I can not to expose the myth that all people with British accents are educated and and uh, sophisticated. Yes. Oh, it's James Bond, like you want to say it. <laughs> so, all right. So one of the purposes, the main purpose, I have three missions in my podcast. Um, I had saw a thing a long time ago and it talked about generational curses and those usually carry things like single mom, poverty and things like that. But mm-hmm. one of them was not following your dream. And I thought, how powerful is that? That that is actually a family constant in cases. Generationally, there will be family members who they worked and they worked their nine to five and they loved their nine to five. Well, they loved it as much as they could be proud of having a nine to five job. But inside they had things that maybe they wanted to try that they never did. And for years I've been talking about doing a podcast. So finally it clicked 
for me to go ahead and try it and jump out there so that my daughter will jump out on her dreams and that her kids will jump out on her dreams. So like I said, besides the Harry Potter, your story captured me because you actually left your home birth country and here you are here. So if you don't mind from the rock star to who you are now and testimony. <laughs> well, let me straighten out that myth. I never was a rock star, but, but I was a wannabe rock star. My mind you were. Okay. So, um, well, I was born in United Kingdom in London to a working class family. So maybe that was uh, one of the things that made made it easy for me to leave my roots and try an adventure because growing up in England in the 60s and 70s uh, wasn't a whole lot going on. The weather's not that great, you may have heard. The food's not that great in England and uh, it's pretty crowded and expensive. So when I got the opportunity to come to the United States, I came here and I felt like I had, I had come to the promised land in a sense. But uh, it wasn't quite that simple. I, I, my father died when I was 17 years old suddenly, and, and uh, I it kind of was launched into adulthood sooner than I really wanted to be. But in retrospect, that was very beneficial to me. Um, having to grow up quicker than I had planned. But I, I played in bands. Uh, it was the 70s. It was a great time to be you know, young in London. It was the punk movement. And that's we brought you things like the jam, the Sex Pistols, Dan, Dan, yeah. and the club. <laughs> and uh, while I don't ascribe to a lot of the things they, they sung about, I, it was an energizing time mm -hmm. in London uh, during the, the punk rock movement. And the thing was, you didn't need to play a musical instrument to join a band. In fact, you probably overqualified if you played an instrument. It's funny. I heard you say that when we, when I was listening to you speak the first time. What do you mean by that? I'm just curious. Well, uh, it was all about attitude. It was about attitude and just the energy. Of course, you have to develop some, some <laughs> level of skill so okay. it's not completely cacophonous. But for instance, it was well known in the United States, the Ramones, they never, they only played major chords. They didn't, any of their songs, even though normally the, the song or the, the music might require a minor chord, they didn't bother to move <laughs> one of their fingers on the, on, the key, on the fretboard. They just played major, major chords and everything. So it was kind of that attitude. It was, it was kind of, and Sid Vicious famously didn't know how to play a bass guitar. Really? Yeah, yeah. But but he knew how to uh, you know cut himself with razor blades and and spit on the audience and things like that. It was more about the attitude, the, the look, the, the look, than, than the skill. But now, don't kid me. There's a lot. There's a lot of good musicians that came out of that. Mm -hmm. But it was true for me. I wasn't in a, a punk band per se. That wasn't really my thing. Uh, but I I was there was nothing to do in England. There, there wasn't much job opportunity. So most young men joined bands. That's what we did, and that's I think why a lot of good music came out of England mm -hmm. for several decades and probably still does to some degree. But it's kind of like the uh, the Southern blues thing here in the United States. Mm -hmm. A lot of music and creativity comes out of, of a hard place, uh, a painful place. I never thought about that. And I think it was the same true, same was true for British musicians, especially in the 60s and 70s. Uh, there wasn't a lot going on. So they, they, they sang about it. That's how they they emoted. That's how they got those those feelings out of maybe a sense of despair, not knowing where true hope was. 
Um, that's that's how I saw it. But anyway, to get back to the main theme. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, joined, I joined a band, and uh, I joined a few bands. Anybody that would have me for a while, and uh, I did develop some skill in my in my music, and I played bass as my primary instrument. No. And so I got to got to play quite a bit. I toured pubs around London, doing cover music and things like that. And then I joined a, a band, an originals band, which is what I really like to do because I like the creativity of writing. And the singer went on a holiday, which you would know as a vacation, mm -hmm. came over to the United States. And uh, when he came back, he said to the band, he said, guys, we've got to go to America. They just love English accents. There's a lot of young women there and the pot is very cheap, right? So, so uh, two of us were stable, not, and I wasn't one of them. Okay. The two stable ones stayed in England mm -hmm. and me, the keyboard player and the singer came over to the United States to seeking, for me, it was seeking fame and fortune, but arriving here was just, it was just a wonderful experience. The weather was better. There was room to breathe. I moved to New Jersey. That's where we based ourselves out of. Which is hilarious because we would never say, oh, look at New Jersey, air to breathe. Well, it's, <laughs> it's all perspective. Right. It's more about where you're coming from. Yeah. It's the change. Yeah. Um, so uh, I like to say about my story that it's, I think of it as how my life went beautifully wrong. Mm -hmm. um, because I came over here, I was 21 years old. I did get involved in some drugs. Uh, fortunately, I never got into hard drugs, but the way I was using drugs was definitely not a healthy relationship That's with fair. them. Uh, it was became more than recreational. And um, so I started on my American adventure. We had fun. Of course, I was young. Yes, there was a lot of girls that liked English accents. That's always fun when, you, when you're 21 years old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, sometimes the fun has to end and you have to grow up. And that's what happened to me. The music was doing very well. Um, we we signed a deal with Electric Ladyland Studios in Manhattan, New York on 8th Street there. And we did an album with them. We thought we were going somewhere. It, it, didn't, go, it didn't go anywhere. But what was happening in my life was more important than what was happening with the music. And that was, I want to talk about my, my spiritual journey in this. Yes. That I came seeking fortune and fame. And when I when I look back on that, and I've thought about it many times, what was driving me was, and I find this to be true with a lot of people in the creative arts, especially the performing arts, that they're, uh, that they're seeking approval mm, okay. that, that we all need. It's, yeah. it's a God-given thing, but what we do to get it and who we want it from is where the problems lie. Um, so that's what I came for, but I ended up with something much greater. And that's what I'd really like to focus on. Please do, because I love this part. This okay. part is was one of the triggers of why I just, I love your yep. story. Thank you. Um, so I, I fell in love with an American girl. Uh, we had a son together. He's doing really well. I love him very much. He's out in San Francisco. 38 years old and enjoying life out there with his girlfriend of like 12 years, I think they've been together. So, uh, so, so we got married and we had the, the child, but very quickly, both my, my wife at that time and myself were heavily addicted to drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 
things seemed to be going well with the band and everything was going. I was happy. I was, I was in love. I had a kid, but two years into it, everything wheels fell off. The music just took a nosedive. No labels wanted to pick us up. Uh, my wife wanted to, wanted to, well, I guess she wanted a divorce, but she didn't frame it that way. She said she needed a break. She'd like me to move out of the house. Mm-hmm. And um, so she wanted it like sort of like an engagement for divorce, I guess. The test of divorce waters. Yeah. Let's see like, how that would feel. Kind of like how I think it was. So which broke my heart because mm-hmm. I, I did it to, to give her what she, the room she needed. Um, but I ended up staying with a friend of mine who was dealing a rather large quantity of, of drugs, mm-hmm. marijuana, um, which doesn't seem that that bad these days because marijuana is practically legal in most states. Right. But, but back then it, it was, you know, it was serious, it was more serious than it is now. Well, the quantity he was dealing was, was would be serious now anyway. So I stayed with him in, this, in a small cottage in Long Branch, New Jersey, on the Jersey Shore. And um, it was March 17th of 1986. See, I had been, I had been the hand of heaven, that's God, mm-hmm. the nickname for God, was right on my trail. When I came to the United States, the first American musician I met that I really liked, who was a very cool musician, told me he was a Christian, he was a born-again believer. And from my perspective, that didn't make sense. It was an oxymoron because how could you be a Christian and be a cool person at the same time? <laughs> exactly. A lot of people wonder, but it's it can happen. It happens a lot. It's possible. It, it's it's more likely actually. Now I realize it. Mm-hmm. But, um, because my background in England growing up was very kind of traditional. My parents didn't go. They would, and I guess if you're talking about generational curses, the generational curse I had was one of, of actually secularism and, and atheism that uh, I have a pretty large family and to my knowledge none of them have become uh, believers in Christ they have no, no faith that I, that I know of and I have a pretty large family so mm-hmm. I'm not in touch with all of them my cousins and so forth but so that was my background so when I came here and I met this musician now also my wife that I refer to my first wife her parents were born again Christians mm-hmm. and I, I I always remembered visiting them and just that this I could I didn't know what it was at the time but now I looking back I know it was the Holy Spirit just the peace that was in the household it was so different mm-hmm. that I knew there was something different that I was missing and that was the thing that I'd probably always been looking for in my life but never had any direction to find it but I knew I was missing something and I was starting to get a sense of it so the hand of heaven was on my case he had put my my former in-laws in my life and they, and they they would reach out to me I'd, we'd come home after visiting them on the weekend and i'd look in the diaper bag and there'd be tracts in the diaper bag mm-hmm. and i would actually read them psalm 23 i stuck it up right over my office so mm-hmm. i could see it i love that psalm and uh, uh so he was on my case so getting back to the march 17th of 1986 st patrick's day I had just separated from my wife. I was living with my drug dealer friend in a very small cottage. Not much, the room I was in was no bigger than this room. We were sitting in what about an eight by eight room. And that day in the morning, I got up 
And I said to myself, I was so sick of, of being a slave to drugs mm -hmm. um, that I got up that day and I said, well, let me back up. I've got the chronology wrong a little mm -hmm. bit here. In January of 1986, when I separated, I finally surrendered and gave my life to Christ. The hound of heaven okay. finally had his way with me. I gave my life to Christ, but yeah, I was still, I couldn't give up the drugs. So for that period of time, from January on, I was a confessing Christian, but was heavily addicted to, to marijuana, could not do anything. And if I couldn't get marijuana, I'd use alcohol. And it's so, and I hate it because I love this story. I love the fact that you were, you were still on drugs. Mm -hmm. But you had given your life to Christ. I think that's such a key, key factor. It is. Because a lot of times it's, it's sort of pushed. Well, not pushed, but it, the presentation, it appears like I have to come to this life of Christianity perfect. I have mm -hmm. to have not sinned. I have to have not done any drugs. I have to have not drank the day before and all those things. And that's, I, in my mind, I'm like, that's a human perspective that we put on a spiritual situation. So I love that you said that. Yeah, I really appreciate you pointing that out because that's that's kind of like, the for me, the, the main thing out of it that mm -hmm. I want people to know. Not just that there's, you can have new life and eternal life in Christ, but people do think, oh, well, when I clean myself up, then I can be right. right with God and they can have it all backwards. Right. It's yeah. God comes down to the gutter of wherever we are. That's where he hangs out. That's where he met me. Yeah, <laughs> that's, where, that's where he meets a lot of people. Right. Very few come by inspiration. Most of us come through desperation when we find ourselves in the gutter of life. And that's where he met me. So that day, so I was living with this, this, uh, you know, conflict within me. Am I, mm -hmm. am I a believer? Yeah, you know, I sneak off and get high all the time. But on March 17th, I got up that morning and I said to myself, I'm not going to smoke today. I'm going to go and have breakfast, which was not my normal order of things. So I headed towards the, the, the kitchen to make breakfast. And before I knew it, I was on my knees in the living room with a pipe in my mouth. And I'm saying to myself, how did, like, I don't even know how I went from going there to going there. Haven't even eaten yet. No, I haven't even eaten years. It was not that important compared to drugs. So as I'm sitting there, I was disgusted with myself. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I know that I'm going to I'm gonna have to make you do something drastic mm -hmm. to stop this because I cannot stop this. And I don't want this. So I did finally have breakfast. But that day, my, my roommate friend uh, had just purchased 17 pounds of marijuana which is a lot of garbage bags full of marijuana mm. and normally he would have it split up in different locations he had a place in manhattan a place in upstate new york and some on the jersey shore but this one day he just purchased it he had it all together and before he was going to separate it he wanted to spray it down because when you have marijuana you don't want it to lose too much weight because you lose money live and learn go ahead <laughs> so we had it all out on, on the bed. All the bags were open. We had just sprayed it down, weighed it and everything. And and my friend's name was Mike, said, Larry, he said, uh, you wrap this up. He says, I'm hungry. I want to make a tuna fish sandwich. We're out of mayonnaise. I'm going to run to the store and get some mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mike, I got this. I got this. So he leaves. About five minutes later, there's a knock on the door. So I st stick my head out of this little room I'm in. And the whole cottage was very small to begin with. And I 
so, so I walked up to the front door and I opened up the door and there's a guy sweating bullets. And I thought, oh, this guy doesn't look like he's in good shape. And he said, is Pete there? And I said, there's nobody here by that name. Mm -hmm. I said, he said, oh, sorry to bother you. So I thought it was strange. I closed the door and I watched him walk across the yard to somewhere else out of sight. And I go back in the room and a couple of minutes later, a whole cottage shook. And I opened the door to see the, the front door and the screen door in splinters laying across the living room. I didn't know what happened. Before I knew it, I had shut the door and put my back against the door to prevent them from coming in because you're strong. You're, you're young. No, <laughs> I was in shock and you don't think straight. But these guys did a good job. They put the battery ram through the door. They made so much noise when they came through the door, it completely disoriented me. Uh, I didn't know what the next thing I knew, I was face down on the bed with a with a service revolver at the back of my head, pressed against my head while they were handcuffing me. And normally uh, you would, you would think, you know, that that would be terrifying. But it was in that moment I had tremendous sense of peace. I said to the Lord, I said, find me, it's over. I didn't remember right at that moment what I had told him mm -hmm. when I was on my knees with the pipe. Oh, wow. But I put it together later. I go, wow, you know, I actually prayed for God to do this. <laughs> Didn't know that's how he was going to do it, but you know, it's his thing. It's exactly right. You know, God God does things, but it was what I needed. It was actually what I needed. It was very painful. I did go away. I had a three-year sentence. I got out early for good behavior, but uh, they did actually get my friend, unfortunately, and he never repented. He was very bitter. and He died of cancer about 20 years ago. Uh, he was the, the subject and they were able to apprehend him. But see, they had come looking for him. They didn't right. know I was there. Okay. I was I was gravy for the for the Monmouth County Task Force. But that's how that's how God got me, you know, that's how he cleaned cleaned up that part of my life. And uh, I give him all the glory and all the praise. You know, this is you know, it's a shame that so many people, you hear people give their testimonies about coming to the Lord, and it, and it very often involves catastrophes and, and messes. Uh, and they, sometimes people give their testimony like the, the worse your life was, the, the worse, as bad as it could be, the testimony is better. Right. There's no glory for a person to screw up their life where they need to be at that point to meet Christ. But the fact is that Christ, like you said too, that that's where God meets many people is in the garden. And I'm, my hope and prayer for what we're doing here today is that someone out there listening to this is that person in the garden that thinks that they, they can't stand before God right. or meet God because God wouldn't want anything to do with them. And it's weird because I want people to know um, two, so many things, but one, your gutter looks way different from my gutter. Your gutter, everybody's thing looks different. Everybody's rock bottom looks different. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, don't get caught up in the situation of what Larry's rock bottom was because his is different from yours. Yeah. So do you, you want to be there or wherever you're at, 
you can be met. He meets you there. That's his thing. He's not like when you go to the club and you meet the great guy. So you've got the great makeup on. He is at, well, in my case, after you take the, you know, he's there with the sweat clothes on and after taking the makeup off and he's for your true, you, your true heart. Mm -hmm. The other thing, so I can put some even more perspective on this interview. When I got to meet Larry, it was at pretty much a business networking thing. So that was another thing that took me back that during this whole business thing, here's this great classy guy with a British accent giving a testimony. And I remember you said your son. So when you said your son this time, I thought I have to remember that because I love I love the reason why you ended up giving your testimony because your son had made a comment to you about what you were going to talk oh, yeah, about. Yeah, oh, you're going you're gonna to out me, huh? Well, I, well only, okay, <laughs> only if you're comfortable with the no, out, because I, I thought, no, 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 no. Because my daughter gets me sometimes, and I act cool. Like, she didn't just correct me, but she really, mm -hmm. she did. She rethought my brain, this child. <laughs> so. Yeah. That, I'll share that. Yeah, you know, my son was saying to me, Daddy said, you know, you say you're a Christian, but you, you talk about politics more than you talk about Christ. And I'm like, I said, no, I don't. I went away and I felt really convicted because, you know, I don't want him to think that about me, you know, when I'm gone. And I would think, oh, my dad was more interested in who's going to be president than, than who's the Lord of his life. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was right. And it's my prayer is that I hope your son gets to hear this. I'm sure he has no doubt what a great man you are, but to get to, when you get to hear your parents be real um, about their relationships, it makes them more human and to me, almost more honorable. It's like, I guess, I guess why Jesus became a human, because if he had stayed a God, he would be so above us that we wouldn't get it. Yeah. So the fact that he actually got to live down here and deal with people like we had to deal with people, it, it changes his story. And that, that just hit me. So yeah, thank you, God. Um, more than that, more than him coming down, I, I think about what he left. You know, would you leave that right. Would you leave the, the throne of heaven? Say so something funny. And come down to this this gutter? I got to go to Jamaica uh for the first time a few years ago with my, my daughter's my daughter's grandmother is lives in Jamaica. And but she would come to Chicago and she lived in the United States for years. At the airport, as I'm leaving Jamaica, I'm like, I don't understand how people leave here. I would never leave such a beautiful place. But I've got stuff to take care of in the United States. So I gotta go home. I've gotta, I've gotta do my fair just. Yeah. Um, as promised, I will not take up much of your time. Um, I do want one of your takeaways. What would you want the one person out there who hears this to for their heart to hear? I would like anybody out there listening to know if they have not met the risen Christ, that he is alive. And he's real. Today's Good Friday. Yes. That was the day they crucified him. Mm -hmm. And there's a very famous sermon that says, you know, Friday's Friday's here, but Sundays are coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think of that often, that even Friday's here, meaning it's a dark time because all hope was nailed to the cross, not knowing that that was, had to be done in order for hope to rise from the dead. So for you that's experiencing that dark period in your life and not believing there's any hope or any way out, there is. I'm a living testimony and there's thousands of people that have experienced the risen Christ in their lives. 
but I would say this one other thing is that you can't play games with God. God will, God will do amazing things in your life, but he wants you to surrender every part of it. You just can't give him be selective because when you do that, you're basically building God in your own image. It's like an erector set of God. It's the, you're building the God that you want. Well, yeah, you can have this part of my life, but this part I'm keeping because that's not your jurisdiction. But God doesn't do it like that. Mm -hmm. God wants 100%. He wants you to open every closet door of your life, every because he knows it anyway. But he wants you to give him access to it so that he can do wonderful things in your life. And your life will bless the lives of others. It's, well, it's, that's, it's amazing. Amen. Yeah, he doesn't want to just fill us. He wants to fill us to overflowing mm -hmm. because he wants it to go out to others. Well, Larry, cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. My pleasure. Um, it is my honor and one of God's blessings to get to talk to you. Like at our random meeting of, I will tell you this short thing. When I left that, uh, the Hodge meeting, I think it's called zero, zero day, zero day. I called my mom and I was like, you don't understand mommy. I'm nobody. And I just got to meet some of the most amazing people. Like, I was just going to go there to get some coffee. I happened to have a day off and I was like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to go out. If I'm committed to this podcast thing, let me do the thing. And I left filled. I left completely filled. And it's because I opened, I believe that part of my podcast, my life to God and to his direction. Cause this is not how I planned on. I planned on being Oprah, like you said, philosophical and deep, and it would just be me, but this is outstanding. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I honor your time. And I'm going to go ahead and say thank you all for listening. Um, be a blessing to somebody. Break generational curses. And thank you guys for listening to I Am Sinitra. How y'all doing? Yay.